0: I I dare you. I dare you. I double dog dare you to go buy yourself a Windows laptop and just see how bad it is. Uh, Because you may think it was bad in
1: so hey everybody welcome to episode 117 of the more than just code podcast my name is tim and i am sitting in toronto ontario and i'm joined once again by aaron bay in whitby ontario hi there and we also have jaime lopez in seattle washington how's it going and we have mark rubin down in san Jose, california hello all righty so should we i was asking if we
0: had anything in the mtjc vault there ask mtjc uh greg keogh asks you know this greg keogh guy friend of the show (laughs) some Mm -hmm. one some one-time host of the show Next iPhone, anyway, lightning or USB-C? That's the question. What do you think, guys? This is the, these are the big topics that we all tackle. I saw one diagram that suggested that the, um, the USB-C port is actually wider than the lightning port. And so somebody had done a diagram comparing what it would look like on the bottom of the current iPhone. When you see the, in profile, and you see the lightning port, and then you see it with the USB-C port. And the USB-C port is it's actually quite a bit larger. And uh, so can you see Apple going to a larger port than what they have already? And the, uh, the poop storm that would yeah. ensue if Apple were to change the connector again. <laughs> uh, well, well, do you think they're going to start shipping
1: the phone with, with a USB option? Because that's, that's the USB-C option. That's the current problem is that they're shipping the phones with a standard, or I don't know, a USB-A, B or whatever it is, the original style, right? I'm sorry. With it, with a lightning Are the cable. Are They're right? talking about just the cable. cable.
2: Lightning to USB-C cable.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, that's the thing right now. Like if you buy a new Mac, you're going to get it with USB-C ports, just like you had on your on your MacBook when you first bought it, right? Well, hang on a second. Let's back up. Um, we're talking about the port that appears on the iPhone itself. I know we're talking about the port, and I, I think it's a ridiculous question to be honest with you. But um, and based on what you're saying about the size of the actual uh, port, it, it may not be feasible, right? Um, but. My question was, and this is one of the conundrums that's come up this week: is if you buy a, a new phone today, you don't, have a, uh, you don't have a connector that'll connect into your
0: friends' okay. New so Mac, yeah, right? we're moving to the cable. Yes, I understand.
3: Yeah, Greg gotcha, asked right? an ambiguous so que- uh, test-like question because it kind it of depends on, on which which end you're talking about, right? Because it certainly could be both lightning on one end and USB-C on the opposite end.
0: Yeah, he didn't yeah, say or, port.
3: Yeah. He doesn't say cable either.
0: Damn that great heo.
3: I know, sneaky.
0: He is very sneaky. Look at him, he's looking up there. Is there such a
1: thing as a USB C to USB C cable? Sure there is.
0: Okay. Yeah, like uh yeah, of course. Mm. <laughs> um you you probably don't need one now. But I mean while while Apple is shipping the majority of its hardware today with the USB A ports on them, uh they will probably continue to put that cable in the box with an iPhone. Um, who knows, maybe next year the scene is completely different. But for now, that's the way it is. Um, so you, right. you Tim, think that the idea of Apple switching to to USB-C on the iPhone, the port now, not the cable, is ridiculous? Not
1: ridiculous, but probably not, a, not something they would do. I mean, after having invested
3: so much in the Lightning port, right? Okay, so how long have we had the Lightning port
0: now? Uh, it debuted on the iPhone 5, if I'm remembering right
3: yeah yep. that's my recollection as well
0: uh so five i see six S, seven so you know it's been five years does that sound about right five years and yeah. Yeah. the 30 pin connector that we had prior to that which debuted with the ipod some version of the ipod not the original one but uh that was around for about 10 years does that sound about right hmm they're about yes. so and then people freaked out over that too of course right Um, But I think Apple is is sort of immune to the idea of customers freaking out over the changes they make. I don't think they care, (laughs) and (laughs) and we're going to get into that more later this show. Mm -hmm. So uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to be a huge consideration for them. If I had to guess, I would say they should move to USB-C in their phone uh, because I I think it would um, centralize all their ports. If, If every port that Apple shipped was the same kind of port... That would be really amazing. Don't you think? Like, get past the pain, get past the annoyance, and get past the dongles, and, and look in that future where everything is USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3, whatever it is. Um, I think that that's a really nice future.
1: Yeah, I think that... Um, uh, what am I thinking? I don't even know what you're thinking, um, Tim. Well, no, I was going to say, well, you know, you mentioned the dongles thing, and that was the first thing that sort of popped into my mind, is the idea of plugging an Ethernet dongle into, you know, the, the USB-C port on an iPhone or even, uh, you know, a DVI dongle or something, you know what I mean? Because if they move to USB-C on everything, then, you know, people will try and... Because as we've seen in the last week, people will try and plug all their dongles together and make these Rube Goldberg, you know, connectors, Okay, right? sure.
3: They're, they're pretty amusing when when they do that. Um, but I think, even though I would agree, it would be super nice if they just went ahead and switched to USB-C and just standardized on something. Or heck, even just standardize on the Lightning port uh, would be kind of nice and and dandy. I think their weird choosing of this and that and the other in different cases is somewhat difficult to deal with. And if anything, I would think that they, to your earlier point, Tim, about the USB-C port being on the phone side, being bigger physically, is probably the biggest reason why Apple would not, given its current design philosophy, switch. Right? They are obsessed with thinner, thinner, thinner. And anything that makes it slightly larger, that's getting bunted. Like It's getting bunted like, real fast.
0: It is true. Now, I'm looking at my phone right now and trying to imagine the USB-C-sized port on it. And um, there would certainly be room left over in the current device's thickness. Uh, but if you can imagine years from now, uh, they may run out of that space. So the lightning port does give them more leeway in that direction. So that is definitely a point to consider. Smart high me. <laughs> So <laughs> who knows though, like who can truly guess what Apple's going to be up to? I don't know. I don't think anybody can. And I, I don't think, um, I think we're, we're as clueless now as we've ever been about Apple um, because they tell us so little and uh, the signs that they're putting out there are so vague and I think there is no better evidence of that than the MacBook Pro event from last week. I right, feel like right. we ought to get right into it. Do you, or do you want to f you on the AirPods because we did talk about the AirPods yeah, last week? Was do, there anything is that, else? Is
1: that the only f you we have? The AirPod, the AirPod thing is super, super simple. It's basically the the latest word is or latest rumor is that um, they're actually going to be delayed till January 2017, and that's based, I think, on supply in China. If not, if I'm not mistaken, some some pieces are
0: made of unobtainium that seems likely unobtainium or you know delayium. is that an element <laughs> can we call it that <laughs> yeah cursed fate so at least that definitely beats uh indefinitely right so some some kind of date right. is better than indefinitely right um i mean at this point it's it's obvious there's just no way it will come out in 2016 at this point if they delayed this uh at this hour um I I don't know, like it's, I suppose it's possible that we'd see them in November, but December is just totally out of the question. Like nothing happens in December. Apple goes away for Thanksgiving holidays and they come back in January 1st. That's it. Because Apple ever shipped anything in December. Probably not. Seemingly close for close for a week in the, in the, at the end there.
1: Um, so it'd be really hard to fulfill orders and things. So, um, so last week, yeah, like you said, we had the event. And we've been, you know, I think listeners to this show, regular listeners to this show, won't necessarily be surprised by what we saw because we've been talking about the rumored OLED strip coming to the MacBooks and what possibly could it be for, you know, and we we guessed that it would be for function keys or some sort of programmable keys, right? Um, so why don't you take it away, Aaron, on your thoughts on what did you think about the event?
0: Okay. Um, first of all, I guess my first thought about the event is that i think they were originally planning to do more than they did and my reason for thinking that is they had a lot of padding up front so we knew that this was a mac event going into it uh you remember the hype last week the hello again uh invite card which suggested the mac but also suggested some kind of large revolutionary change to the uh the mac line (laughs) um okay of course that turned out not to be the case anybody who's uh listening now knows very well what exactly was introduced but it began with um what i felt was uh like a very almost insulting uh, amount of time spent on things that were not the mac uh tim started with uh an outline of the the latest news about the iphone uh nobody wants to hear about the iphone here man (laughs) um the uh the launch and uh the watch uh, as well as the uh, run-up into this the new features around apple tv which were an app that's us only so like i just tuned Ooh. right out as soon as they started talking about it i was like oh this tv thing is so us only uh <laughs> i don't even know how this is relevant to my life <laughs> um but that's just me, because uh, I've been well-trained by Apple to, to recognize U.S.-only features uh, when they are introduced, and uh, that's true. So who knows when this TV app will make its way to Canada, and even then, I cannot fathom uh, making use of it anyway. So it was really, I don't know, um, I'm sure that some people in, inside Apple were working very hard on it, but I just don't feel like it was the point of this event. Uh, it's, it's, it might have been something, especially given the fact that it wasn't ready either. Um, I think it's launching in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that ring a bell? Cause I, I, I don't have it in my notes, good. but
3: I, I do think they said December, something like that. Yeah.
0: Wow. Way to make a liar of me. Didn't I just like two minutes ago say that, uh, they don't do anything in December? Didn't I just say that? <laughs>
3: well, to, to be fair to yourself, said you said that they haven't shipped anything, and, and technically that's still
0: true. Okay, so next we'll see time, you next time they say,
3: "Well, that one thing they shipped in December." Yeah.
0: But it was software. Does that even count? Nope. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. All right, um, but it wasn't ready, you know. So, like, what's, what gives? You know, like, okay, so let's back up here. Um, Apple uh, ostensibly was having this event to launch the new MacBook Pros. And uh, those those new notebooks are, in my opinion, I think they're terrific. They're, we've got a lot of people saying otherwise, but uh, I'll just give my opinion of it. I think they're fantastic. I think they're a really great uh, update to the MacBook Pro. Um, I put my order in for one that very day. Uh, it'll be here sometime late November. Um, and... I'm I'm really pleased about that. So other people have complained about that, and we, I hope we can get into it why people are complaining about it. But I'm okay with it. What I'm not okay with is the apparent lack of any direction on the desktop side of things, which have been laying fallow for way too long, and there is no sign of relief. It's possible uh, after the event we heard word that there would be perhaps a desktop update in early 2017. And if that's the case, maybe alongside these AirPods that that will actually be shipping, if that's the case, then maybe I've got nothing to worry about. But right now, right now at this moment, I'm freaked out (laughs) about Apple not shipping or seeming to care about the Mac desktop line. It's um, sort of one of the big things about it, uh, and we'll get into the features of the MacBook Pro, uh, the Touch Bar. Um, I would have thought that Apple would take that kind of functionality and put it into a new Bluetooth keyboard. You know that so many laptop users use their their laptops in desktop mode, right? Like That's plugged true. into a display and with a keyboard and a trackpad or a mouse or whatever, but. There's just so many circumstances where notebook users are not using the thing as a notebook, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But you always want to have access to this wonderful new UI paradigm that they've invented, that they spent apparently the last four years working on. Wow. So they said in an article that um, we haven't posted a link to here. Um, we got a couple, though. The independent one? No, it yeah, was, the independent um,
1: one is the one I posted, yeah.
0: yeah, that's the one you posted. But there's another one that was uh, done on CNET. Where they did an interview with a couple of the executives, and they talked right. about how they spent four years working on this thing., uh, just incredible um <laughs> but that they wouldn't um have spent some of those four years working on a, an external keyboard that desktop users could enjoy and maybe again i'm I'm going to retreat on this a little bit and say if there is this event in early two thousand and seventeen, maybe January, where we have new macs um like a new Mac Mini, a new Mac Pro, a new iMac. Maybe it'll come with a Touch Bar keyboard. Maybe, you know, maybe that's what we're waiting for. Maybe they'll come out with a magic Touch Bar. You know, who knows? Like a, an independent Touch well, Bar uh, just by itself. Yeah, like they did with the track
1: pads and and uh, but but yeah, I think I think it was John Gruber. I read somewhere, maybe on Twitter, that that he had said that some he had thought that sometime around gen, uh, 2017, early gen, or January, let's say um that the iMac would get a refresh and there was some talk about um people were we, people were guessing exactly what you're saying about the fact that there may be a a wireless device or even a wired device that has a touch bar on it and, and it may be maybe there's an interface issue maybe it needs to be a USB-C kind of connection to get the full functionality of the touch bar who knows right I don't know um
0: I think it would work just like a watch would oh, I mean it can true. work wirelessly yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it ought to be like the current, uh, Apple Bluetooth keyboard, sure. you know, it's, yep. it's battery operated, it's wireless. And why not just plunk a touch bar right on top of that thing. And then it, you, it works exactly like an Apple watch does because it's an Apple watch inside and it just wirelessly connects to the desktop or your laptop whatever you know like there are so many ways that it could work um i just can't imagine that this thing doesn't exist somewhere and i don't know why we didn't see or hear about it on sure, that event sure okay well
1: hang on so you you're fascinated by the new Mac. in fact you we went ahead and put the put your money where your mouth is and bought one um i want to hear what the other two yep. guys thought about it what what do you think about it Jaime? um i
3: think I might sit this one out i haven't really made my decision yet but i don't desperately need a, a laptop um you know, I'm I'm about due for an upgrade. But there are enough downsides with this one that it doesn't really um doesn't really overcome uh sort of that minimum bar of like, yeah, okay, what are the downsides? Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. Okay. And what are the upsides? Mm, well I mostly use my I mean I do use it portably. Uh, as an actual laptop but i mostly have it as a desktop replacement like i kind of like the being able to seamlessly move from desktop mode connected to a monitor and uh, i want to go sit on my couch and and do some stuff so okay well just seamlessly move there rather than having to switch devices wholesale so the touch bar isn't really going to be as useful for me because at best it's only 50 percent of my usage time right so I'm, i'm never really gonna i think adopt it or incorporate it as is into my current workflow.
1: Right, not just the Mac itself in terms of being able to take that and use it as your main device?
3: I mean sure, but now I've like, oh man, like I don't have a single USB C anything, so now I gotta get you know dongles for that. I mean thankfully they included, you know, a headphone jack, so that works. <laughs> um but notably uh they didn't include, you know, a lightning in port for the headphones that they helpfully gave you with your iphone 7 plus True, so. yeah. but they give you the yeah, adapter though. Uh, I, I wasn't yeah <laughs> i can go take i guess i could go take the adapter out of my car and use that um yeah i don't know I, it's okay i think it's a, a a nice you know it's a nice update I, I see some of the choices they made but it it's kind of just okay it's not like a great fantastic update you know it's not like the sort of thing that was worth waiting a year and a half for and and I think that's part of what the backlash that I've seen that I think, you know, if they had regularly delivered uh, refreshes um, over the past year and a half or so and and, and refreshes of the other product lines, right. I think people would be less afraid of like, oh, my God, if I don't get this one and I don't like this one, then... It'll be another eighteen months before this right, refreshes right. again, and who knows what they'll do then, right? Yeah. Like you kind of feel like I can't wait a decade for this thing to refresh to something I want. Yeah. So I think people are kind of freaking out about that a little bit. Other than it being like, yeah, whatever, the 2016 version sucks, but I'll get the 2017 version.
1: To Mark, what do you, what do you think of the the MacBook, um, the new MacBook with Touch Bar and OLED? I know you've talked about using your Mac in desktop mode, right?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't really have any strong feelings about this either. Uh, I do use it as a desktop replacement so with, with a with a wireless keyboard so the uh the bar i don't know i don't know if i would e- i would even use that uh so i would like to see a a, a, uh, a bluetooth keyboard with it with a touchpad as well i think that uh, that would change things for me touch rather yeah you know it's I, I, i'm not really sure i understand the the negativity except that except that uh it seems like whatever Apple announces these days there's negativity around it. People are always hoping for more than than apple ever gives and and it's the same as it is every time so it, it's it's a it's a good thing it's shorts sure, it's a little bit incremental, but uh you know things always are these days so yeah. Don't really have too much to say about that.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's these days, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. And I think this. Uh, well, maybe this that to, was
2: even not a fair thing to say. I mean, it's no, I don't think it yeah.
0: is. Isn't fair. I think it is fair. I think it's true because um, I think so much of this can be put on Intel, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is, um, Intel has kind of run out of their Moore's law, as it were, and um, the CPUs simply are not improving at the rate that they used to. You know, when when we were growing up in the PC revolution and uh, the chips were getting you know twice as fast every year and a half. Um, well, that's just not happening anymore.
2: Well, it's a little bit unfair to blame it on Intel because it's it's not clear that even if the chips were faster and faster and faster, uh, for well for one thing, it's it's not necessarily so much of a of a um, well. It is Moore's law. But it's it's not so much of a scaling issue, it's more of a power issue. They they can't really do that much more without generating so much heat that it would burn up your lap if you were if you had the laptop sitting on your on your lap. So so it's it's you know, if you want to blame physics, that's one thing, but it's not so much fair to blame Intel for the physics. It just it is what it is. Uh but but at the same time, it's it's not clear that if we did have chips that were ten times faster that We'd know what to do with them with our current software capabilities. I mean, you could, sure, you can, you can put a faster microprocessor in there and everything runs faster. But, you know, with the, with a, with a mouse driven event loop, how much faster does that have to be? It doesn't. Uh, the graphics is already pretty good as it is. You know, if you had 10 times faster graphics, yeah, you could make some slicker animations, but is that going to make you say, wow, this is the most amazing thing in the world? Probably not. No. Are
0: you, are you suggesting so, Mark that like a, an eight gigahertz CPU inside my Mac would go unappreciated? Yes. That's a, that's a pretty profound statement. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't believe that's true. Like, I mean, I, I recognize what you're saying about standard stuff, like running a UI, like a window mm-hmm. manager, such as it is, but, mm-hmm. um, there are, like, you must've heard all the talk this, this week about pro use, like this, not being a pro machine, right? Um, and a lot of the things they're talking about are CPU-intensive tasks like uh, compiling software and rendering video and processing audio and stuff like that. Well, a lot of
2: that. A lot of that is memory-driven now uh, rather than processor-speed-driven. Of course, some of its process is processor-speed-driven. But, but if you want to say that, that you know, the 16-gigabyte the gigabyte limitation is, is crazy and it should have been 64 gigs by now, okay, I'll buy that. But you can't blame that one on Intel.
0: I thought that's exactly that who you could blame. Speed. Uh I thought I thought Intel was the the, the ones who made the chipset that are limiting it to sixteen gigs.
2: No, Intel doesn't make the memory,
0: no. No, but they make the chipset on the boards, right? So it's it's their their pipelines on the on the actual hardware that prevent there from being more than sixteen gigs. And that's what I read elsewhere anyway.
2: Mm, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'd have to see that, but that
3: doesn't sound right. I think okay. to interject here, I think What's happening is that there, um, there are different, I think, chipsets available, but they would not have met the thinness envelope, nor would they have met the um, battery life envelope that Apple was looking for. So so they could have done that, uh, and I forget which model. There's like a U model, an M model, and a couple other models that they could have used uh, to give you the 32 gig capability, but the battery drain would have been too high is what I read in an
0: article. Hmm. That sounds right.
2: So blame it then on the battery technology, not on, not on <laughs> Intel. I'm not trying to defend Intel here. I'm just saying it's not really Oh, yes you
0: are, Mark. For You're totally yeah. defending Intel. You love <laughs> Intel. <laughs> yeah. You're going up to Seattle to marry Intel. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, 12?
2: They're not in Seattle. They're in, uh, they're in Santa Clara and Portland. Ah, oh, right? damn it. Right. Got See, got
0: he wrong. knows where they are. Go live. back and he's, fix that, Tim. He's been trolling them. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, yes. He's stocking them. Mm-hmm. I see what it's all about. All right. Now, okay, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, <laughs> so it's funny. It's funny. During that little talk there, you guys were talking about heat. And I remember, I don't remember what it was, but I used to have one of those pads or like it was like a metal pad that would sit underneath my, on my lap because I had a laptop. I can't remember power, power max, something or other that literally was trying to cook my leg because the battery would get so, or the, I guess the CPU would get so hot and the, the body of the thing was heatsink. it might have been a
0: titanium Mac I can't remember, but it was just it was brutal to work with but it's true. I remember those bad boys yeah. that's uh they, they start to spawn the whole lap desk industry
1: yes exactly, yeah, yeah
0: um and there are even some you can still get these today uh I've seen these for p c laptops right which which have no such respect for their power envelopes. um they have fans in them. Have yeah. you ever seen yes, those? yes, you still can get those yeah, lap desks sure. with fans. Yeah, that's astounding when you think about that. Okay, anyway, back on the topic here. Um, overall, I'm uh, I'm I'm much more uh, impressed by these laptops than either of the other uh, hosts of the show. Well, I mean, I'm,
1: um, I'm I'm quietly fascinated by them. My my situation is that. Um, I'm in need of of a, a storage upgrade, not necessarily a processor upgrade, because I, I frankly don't really use my MacBook Air as much as I used to. I used to be on it, you know twenty four seven, but but now that I'm you know have the day gig and got the fifteen inch you know um, MacBook Pro there, that's not an issue. Um, and and I was like I said, I was fascinated by uh, the MacBooks that you and uh, Farley bought. Um, but I just, they just, they just didn't seem to seem, the price point was a little, was a little off putting from what you get for what you have. These Macs, you know, if I had to, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, now it's personal dollars as opposed to business dollars, buying these things, you know, looking at a $3,000 laptop, cause that's what it works out to in Canadian dollars for the model I would want, you know, I would want to get a uh, half a terabyte of, of space at least, and I would want to get the max memory. Um, that's pretty off putting for me. Um, although, you know, definitely we'll be moving on to them at some point in the near future, you know, at work, right? But uh, depending on uh, availability, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, a lot to kind of make you pause when considering buying a new MacBook. Absolutely. That's true, in any case, yeah. Um, my impression, though, is that there there are performance gains to be had uh, in this line, uh, if not on the CPU side or even the GPU side the storage technology apparently is quite a bit faster yes so 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 the uh, ssds they're dramatically faster which um you know we've seen a lot of real world performance gains uh from uh going to faster ssds uh so that's something that's uh, always been improving it seems like of any place in the computer that's like the one spot where we do see a lot of dramatic change um if anywhere this is it so um i'm looking forward to trying that out um, you got to remember, like you know, uh, you, you've mentioned a few times now, like the my, my MacBook, my twelve-inch MacBook, on which I record this. Um, although Farley would uh, would shout me down, um, <laughs> um, I I am prepared to say that I feel like that that was probably a mistake to make that purchase. Um, for all the reasons that everybody was saying at the time of the launch, that it uh, that it is an underpowered machine, uh, it's definitely uh, been showing its age for me, and that's that's what's really driven me to get this new MacBook Pro, because um, my my MacBook is really slowing me down, like and it's it's painful. So I really feel like I have to make this upgrade.
1: So let me ask you. So, let me ask you though. Sorry to interject, yeah. but uh, what percentage of time do you spend on your your fancy 5K iMac versus your your MacBook. Is the MacBook the one you want to work on or or the one you would you go to the iMac because you have to in terms
0: of speed? I just have the this is just how I work during the day. I uh, work in the morning on my iMac. Uh after lunch I take my MacBook and I go to the coffee shop and I work there for about three hours. And then I come home and I work for the rest of the day, like an hour or two, on my iMac again. And then uh many evenings I work on my own things, and that is always on the MacBook, never on my iMac. It's probably 50 to 60% either way. I'm not sure which. <laughs> um, I think I might spend more time on my MacBook than on my iMac. Right. If I right. if I'm being 100% honest. So this will have a, you know, it, it is something I'm going to use quite a bit. Right, like quite a bit. Yeah. Um and it, if I can back up just a little bit more, um I'll I'll tell you the reason I got into the situation in the first place cuz I'd always been a single notebook computer user right uh it was only with this this particular cycle that i went to a two computer system right because at the time there were um i wanted a thin and light computer that i could um let me try to remember now it was because apple didn't have a large retina display the only way to get a large retina display was with the imac right. which had the 27 inch version mm-hmm. right um but i also needed a computer that i could go places with because I do spend a lot of time working away from my desk, right? So there was no option at the time to have like a big, powerful, say, 15-inch MacBook Pro um, that I could plug into a display at my desk. Um, I don't think any 4 or even 5K displays existed at the time. Uh, when I did this, a lot's changed now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if I were doing it all over again, I might just have picked up a 15-inch MacBook Pro and one of these really god awful looking LG displays. <laughs> um, but uh, be that as it may, I really like my iMac, and I'm 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 happy to keep it for a little while yet, uh, and then we'll see where things stand. But that's actually one of the things I want to talk about, like because I was talking earlier about um, my disappointment about the desktop line, and hand in hand with that um the The lack of announcements for any desktops, the lack of a a bluetooth keyboard with uh, the touch bar uh is also the fact that Apple has very clearly signaled that they are out of the display business mm. and uh, I found that very upsetting, uh particularly because hey they they got we 're working with l g they say, and they are now recommending that if you want a five k display to work with your thunderbolt three equipped macbook pro that you can go to these guys, uh, LG, and give them $1,600 Canadian and get one of these 27-inch displays. I think it's the same panel that's sitting inside the 5K iMac, except packaged in this crap-looking plastic frame with this crappy-looking stand. Ugh! Kills me, just to look at it. So for the longest time, NEC was making good displays
1: for... A lot of desktop users were using those back in the day, you know, when you had the big, you know, aluminum... um, mac mac pro mac pros um does out do other manufacturers not make 5k displays or i guess 4k is the standard right now
0: right yeah um lg makes a 4k display in a 21.5 inch size and the 5k at 27 inches um nobody else okay nobody else makes um the retina display uh, a 5k display oh i see right uh, that that no, no, I haven't finished yet. <laughs> Dell makes a 5K display, but nobody else makes a 5K display that has a Thunderbolt 3 oh, um, plug right. so that you can take one cable, plug it into your Mac, and you've got, like, essentially a port replicator on the back of your display. Right. right? Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So... Yeah, if you recall, like the the blessed uh, Thunderbolt display, um, which was non Retina, of course. But the great thing about it was that you could take one cable and plug it into your Display Port. Am I remembering this right? Display Port, and then you could use all of the uh, extended ports on the back of that display. Right, right. Those are good days, man. And now Well, I, this, have, the, I have the previous um, one. Mark, you
1: have a you have a Thunderbolt
0: display, don't you?
2: Yeah, I do exactly what you're, what he's saying. I have a Thunderbolt display, and I do that.
0: Yep. Yeah, and it's terrific, right? Um but uh, you can only do that with an Apple display. I mean you buy you buy a Dell display and I had one for a while. Um and it's uh it's a much diminished experience. It's not nearly as nice. Hmm. Never mind the fact that it's ugly. Did I mention the ugly? I can't stand that. So <laughs> I'm really upset. I'm really upset that Apple got out of the display game because yes, they would have charged more, uh but it would have looked terrific. You know, and, it, and you're spending a bundle of money anyway, right? So why not have something like a nice looking display that goes with it? It's true. I just uh, mystified, mystified. It's like they don't care anymore. <laughs> so it's really upsetting. And I think, you know, that's part of well, what...
2: Would, would you prefer that they they had a whole team building this display? And yeah.
0: Therefore, didn't <laughs> develop a new MacBook? Is, is that really what it comes down to? Well, like, it's, I, it's I the wealthiest I mean, company Apple... in the world, unable to make more than one thing at a time? Like is that what this they, is?
2: They are making more than one thing. They're making Apple TVs, they're making Apple Watches. Uh something else would have to go if they were gonna do this.
3: I mean, maybe. I I, I think given their size, you 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 take one of the interns, you say, you see this iMac right here? Uh remove all the electronic parts that do anything that you know, computer wise, and make me a design, and I'll come out of my uh my hovel in in I don't know somewhere in England, and look at it and tell you yes or no, and I'll, I'll see you in a couple months. It doesn't <laughs> seem like that hard of a thing to design. Like yeah, I like, just don't buy. considering they don't they don't make anything for it, right? It's it's really just the casing that they're that they're doing. Like they don't produce the display itself. Like that's the easiest part. Sure. It seems like slapping their logo on top of something is is the easiest thing to do. Yeah,
1: maybe it was the sales. Maybe it was the sales of of the displays that got them out of that game. Because I mean, for you're right. For the longest time, Apple made the best displays. They had they've had all the cinema dis- display lines along the way. They never made the LCDs for those. They were all made by Samsung or Sony or you know uh, some of the korean manufacturers yeah exactly and you know even even the original retina display in the in the 15 inch they had two different suppliers and one supplier was better than the other and it was a shadowing thing and
0: rec- it wasn't quite a rec- Apple has never made their own display. No exactly but they like, you right they made, made their the own case
1: panels. and and cheerpoint you know they make them look nice they make them look like the iMac in the case of the cinema current thunderbolt and the or previous thunderbolt and the the cinema display that i have which looks like an imac but is not it just has usb ports on the back it's so lame and um but they've all but they always made they always chose the best you know uh devices or displays to use whether it was back in the trinitron days or whatever because they were always the best color managed displays apple was right um, you know, then then high end ones like NEC came along and they and they they gave Apple a run for the money. But maybe it just came down to they they didn't sell them any units. And and again, why would they spend a lot of time building something that not a lot of people would buy? You said that, just,
2: but yeah, would, that. To, to counter that, guys, I've worked in hardware companies, and there's a lot more than just designing a case involved. There's there's a lot of supply chain management. There's there's support. There's what happens if this thing with the Apple name on it yeah. suddenly explodes. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot more than you think going on.
1: Yeah, there was the last bunch of Thunderbolt displays they had had a delamination issue along the top edge, and there was a lot of recalls. and And the only way to get them repaired was you you pretty much mailed them in back to Apple or wherever, and they think they just threw them in, you know, they recycled them or they gave them to the robot to take them apart and sent you a, sent you a brand new unit, right?
0: Okay, sure. so what what we're sure. positing here is that Apple can't make a bunch of things at the same time, like the the largest company in the world
2: it's not uh-huh. that they can't it's it's just not worth it from a business point of view for them for whatever reason i don't I don't know why
0: yeah for them right. to make this right. and yeah. we just roll in Mac desktops don't have don't really have the bandwidth to make those um, you know, and I could go on I mean, I feel like Apple's really sitting back. Quite a bit more than they have been well, in the last well, couple of years.
2: So I'll tell you, Aaron, you know, Microsoft would be more than happy to send you a free developer kit. <laughs> have that developing for them. If you don't like what Apple's doing.
0: Well, I, I think I can not like what Apple's doing, but still remain a loyal customer. That's right? true, yeah. I don't know. So I, I think can I can. And more. I, yeah, well, I'm going to complain a lot. And I think it's our role to complain a lot. And I don't think we need to give Apple a pass because well, uh, we're their biggest fans And uh, we can just let them get away with it. And I think that's the point of, you know, let me bring up this link from Michael Tsai's website. Um, Our great anthologer, Michael Tsai, whose blog um, illustrates exactly how upset people are by what this event is. And right or wrong, uh, people are upset about the Mac Pro, and people are upset about the state of the Mac. And I think that they're more justified on the latter than the former. but. There's a lot of upset people now. Um, Mark, you'll say, uh, everybody's always upset. It's just the the we live in an era of butthurt, and <laughs> perhaps we do. But the fact of the matter is, this is a reaction beyond anything I've seen for anything else that Apple has done. Uh, you can go to this page and uh, where Michael Tsai brings together all the commentary that has been posted on blogs around the web, and then the voluminous comment section that follows that article, uh, where people are just going on and on and on and on and on. Like, I just, there's just no way you can read it all. You just can't. There's too much. Um, there, there is clearly a reaction here. I think they're not all
1: negative statements. They're just statements from, from pundits around the industry. But like, you know, for instance, our, our man Ben Brooks says you know, Apple didn't launch a crappy product. They launched devices that are still the best option
0: on the market. That could be argued, right? so um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> that's actually I, I want to get to that point myself, but yeah. Yeah, the, cool. I think if you go through this this thing, I think you will find that the vast majority are negative. There are positive comments here, but the vast majority of these comments are negative,
2: so the news story is people like to complain get it,
0: yeah, I mean, but they they are complaining with justification this time, like there there are problems here that Apple needs to address if. They want to keep their customers. Now, I am not going to be one of those customers. Like, I know what it's like over on Windows land. Oh, yeah. And it's horrible. And I have no interest in going there. Um, and I think you just mentioned Ben Brooks. I think that was the point of his article. It's like, hey, you guys, if you think that Apple is is bad, uh, I, I dare you. I dare you. I double dog dare you to go buy yourself a Windows laptop and just see how bad it is. Uh, because you may think it was bad in year 2000 uh, with Windows 95 or what the hell it was called, Windows 2000, right? What was the one that lasted a long time? That's that would be me. XP. XP, thank you.
3: That, that would be in 2001, I think, technically. Yeah, but, 2001. Uh, pretty close.
0: Um, you know, it hasn't gotten better. That's the point. It hasn't gotten better. It's still bad. And uh, you're in for a world of hurt if you try going over there. Uh, they did a great demo. Uh, in the in their uh, presentation last week the s- studio uh, the, the surface studio but at the end of the day um you 've got that gorgeous hardware and it 's running crap software that 's true um, and that 's what i've found every time I go and and, and play with one of those things it 's like oh right, right notepad plus plus and like all that garbage just garbage don 't want it so don 't worry i 'm not going anywhere but Oh man, there's a lot of unhappy people. Mm-hmm. Will this blow over? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I
1: think so. I mean, it's not like they're producing a- road apples. They've done that in the past. I mean, you know, like I love the the the, the power or the cube, right? Um, G4 cube, the G4
0: cube. But yeah, it's it's on the road apple list. The road apple. Yeah, it certainly that was a road yeah. apple. I think the uh, the Mac Pro is a road apple by I
3: that currently. same
0: definition. I think. Um, I think it was a mistake. If anybody bought it, it was probably a mistake to buy it. Um, it hasn't been updated. It probably will not be updated. Um, like there's, you know, some supposition out there, and I think it's reasonable supposition that they're going to do a have a redo on the Mac Pro. I really hope that's true, <laughs> but um, you know, they're they're not updating that thing.
2: Yeah, I used a Mac Pro at, at, a, at a previous uh, gig, and it, it was it was pretty disappointing. Uh, it it really wasn't that much faster than than my laptop which was roughly uh contemporary with it I think it, it, yeah. it, it wasn't noticeably faster the re- the the reason we were using it was we were hoping to get faster builds out of it and it and it turns out that uh it's not the case because it's the because Xcode can't do builds in parallel can't do parallel, distributed yeah. builds even yeah. if you have hmm. a if you have a, a you know, a quad core or eight core, even whatever you get, Xcode's incapable of, of working with that. So, so it really wasn't any faster to, to do the builds on that.
0: Yeah. It's and it wasn't stuff. long before the iMac was beating it in single threaded performance. Yeah, so, you know, if you wanted a fast performing computer, real world, you know, where, you know, single threaded is what really matters, then you're better off getting an iMac. Uh, that was true around the time the Mac Pro launched three years ago. It's even more true now. So yeah, I can see well, that it depends would be what you doing.
2: I mean, it's uh, uh, if you're doing things that that can be threaded easily. Ex- actually, Xcode should be able to do multi-threaded, but it's, but it's just not very good at it uh, if if it does it at all. But things like video processing or audio processing those lend themselves very well to multi-threaded.
0: Um, do you do you see a future for the touch bar as as a user interface paradigm for the Macintosh? The I, Mac OS? I,
1: I do. I think it's an interesting interesting. Um device, and we'll talk about it a bit when I get to my pick, but it's interesting from the point of view of, uh, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, video producers or sound producers where they they have these overlays on their on their keyboards that show them where all the function buttons are so there is a lot of um utility in you mean, like paper cutout sort well, of well yeah they have these like silicon uh, things with printed colored coded keys oh yeah you know, yeah, for yeah video okay. editing yeah, it's got that. all or, or even midi people they have like you know you can play a keyboard on your on on the, like you can play a musical keyboard on a regular keyboard now there's there it is mapped out there for midi but and, you know, there's, like, even people who use InDesign and, and, you know, Final Cut Pro and all that kind of stuff. They all have their, You can buy these templates that lay over top of your screen. So they're taking that, and they've, they've moved it into the hardware realm. And I think they're adding some functionality. And I think, you know, I, I made no secret of the fact that I was skeptical about stickers when they first came out. And I'm kind of skeptical skeptical about this. However... Wow, Tim. <laughs> I do see I do see that, um, that uh, the touch bar will have some utility for developers again we're talking about the mac developer world and and we're not sure what the state of that is in general right but um in as much as people are adding stickers to their apps for for just the novelty of it, I think people will start using uh, Touch Bar in their Mac OS apps, and eventually we'll start to see some interesting things. And I think it's kind of like it's too early to tell. You know, Apple was kind of demonstrating some of the things that they've figured out they can do with it, but I think it's too early to tell until it gets in the hands of developers and in the hands of people how it's actually going to use be used and whether it is going to make a paradigm shift in the way we use. A, a laptop you know or or a desktop computer if we get the keyboard like you're saying right so we don't know which yeah
0: i think a lot of it's going to depend on that
2: yeah i'll ask the uh, as a resident gaming expert do you think that this will change the way gaming is done because now you have potentially two touch interfaces one for each hand at the same time
3: Hmm. i think it could be interesting for um so the, the challenge with it in gaming is that it's not going to work too well for fast twitch stuff right that's why everybody use uh WASD. you know everybody knows the the key bindings um and, and people get very upset if you change sort of accepted uh key bindings because you just want to be able to like feel your way through what you're doing um, however i do think it could be useful for um, auxiliary things so if you're thinking of mmos You know, like a World of Warcraft or possibly um, MOBAs, like a League of Legends, where you might want to have like, okay, here are like, you know, different command patterns I want to have. Like, hey, everybody, run back to the base or, you know, make sure you recharge, blah, blah, blah. Or um, if you're doing single player, having things like, um, you know, we're changing our attack pattern instead of an offensive pattern, we're going to use a defensive pattern or we're going to shift left, shift right, that sort of thing right? Something where you have a little bit more time, but um, essentially the sort of things, shortcuts for things you would have probably taken the time to write out on the keyboard, right? If you're chatting with somebody else, uh, like in a dungeon raid or something. Uh, That's where I would see it having the impact on on gaming.
0: Yeah, that could be pretty cool. I mean, I'm not into that at all, but your little description there helps me imagine it. It's cool.
3: Yeah, And and so, Tim, I I think for me, um, I, I think... I think there's a future for it, but I don't think it's a transformative thing. I think it's a an additive thing that it's it's real nice to have it, but it, you're not hosed if you don't, right? Um, I, I think of it like I don't know, like I, I on my magic mouse, I enable right click. Uh, it's not transformative, you know. Um, I could use the keyboard to do uh, a lot of that uh, activity. Like an um, animal, with just a single click. Um, but I I like having the right click because it's faster for me in the way that I use things.
2: But things like hotkeys, where you have something mapped to some key on the keyboard, and you have to remember which key was what. Uh, having the ability to just have it show up on the on the on the touchpad or touchpad rather, uh, labeled for what it was might be a nice thing.
3: Yeah, that would make it a lot easier. Like I've I've tried several times to get into using um, app code for iOS development, but Ooh. my brain just hurts with the, the different keyboard shortcuts, and I've felt you know like it's a bit too daunting to go in and remap everything to match X codes. But if there was a debug button, a run button, a clean the derived data button, uh, which I think absolutely should mm. be mandatory, um, <laughs> I would love that.
2: Yeah, I'm still missing that clear the drive data button in Xcode. <laughs> That's no <good> <laughs> Point one or eight, whenever it was.
0: If we see this touch bar in more places, then I'll start to believe that it's for real, you know? Like, it has to become ubiquitous across the whole Mac line, desktop and laptop. Um, and so I think... Uh, It's fair to say that we're seeing this start on their highest margin devices, you know, that helps recoup the cost of development, as we say about, you know, the richest company in the world. Um, (laughs) But uh, we need to see this roll out across all their laptops if they're serious about it, right? Um, uh, Tim, you're going to talk about the API docs for your pick, is that right?
1: Yeah, well, there's a touch bar tutorial coming out. Yeah, Yep.
0: But one of the things about it uh, as a preview is that there is no um, sort of conditional statement uh, when you're developing for this. Um, As as a Mac developer, um, you just present the UI that would appear in that touch bar. And uh, if the touch bar is not available, then nothing happens. And that's all there is to it. Um, So um, we need to see that touch bar appear in more places to justify the effort. Um, Because you've got a lot of early adopters right now that are going to have these things but um it's it's much more important i think that everybody have them or at least have access to them um so that five years from now um that's just part of the mac os experience that developers can take for granted
2: well Um, i think a good analogy to that is is uh uh, the force touch on ios right or is it for what what is it called on, on, oh god who can on, keep track on, on 3d touch 3d, 3D, 3D touch 3D yeah, yeah. Yeah. 4 touches in the is in the pad yeah so 3d touch is it's a good analogy because not everybody had that for a while still not everybody has that yeah uh so it's never
0: going to be on an ipad for example like it doesn't seem like it's ever going to be on an ipad well, well why not i guess don't say never I, I i it's just they they have not done it yet
2: right yeah it's yeah, no, I think it's I think it's inevitable that it eventually will be. It's just a matter of how long will it take to to do major refreshes of iPad. But uh, yeah, it's equivalent to that. You know, it's 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 something that if you if you have the latest and greatest hardware, you can use it. Uh, but they can't make it something that you must have because not everybody has it. But eventually, everyone will, and then it'll be, be the same as uh, as every other feature.
0: Yeah, and I think this is even better, too, because it's it's a visible piece of hardware, you know? Like, everybody knows they've got the touch bar, uh, but not everybody knows they have 3D touch, right? Because it's like one of those kind of secret things that you kind of stumble on sometimes.
1: Sure, sure. I think an, another analogy to that is the Apple Pencil, and, you know, that's something that clearly not everybody can take advantage of, but those of us who can, you know, are finding all kinds of interesting uses for it. Right, that's, that's something that's not right. available everywhere, right?
3: Right, right.
0: Aaron, go ahead. forgot what I was going to say. Oh oh, 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 right. Okay. So the other thing about uh, the Touch Bar is that this is going to be the first time that we're looking to Mac developers for innovation oh, that's true. in software. Um, in a long time, let's say. That uh, we have not seen a lot of uh, interest and excitement in uh, Mac development. And for the first time in a while, I think we might be. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out, right? How do these um, Mac developers, from whom we don't hear a whole lot these days, uh, how do they react to this and, uh, and what are they going to do with it? So uh, that's, that's very interesting about this as well. So when Apple says, you know, Hey, look, maybe we're, we, you know, we love the Mac. Remember last week I, I, I threw that out there. We love the Mac. You know, you wouldn't say that unless it were some people were thinking that maybe you didn't love the Mac. Um, so they know there's a perception problem. And if uh, you were following me on Twitter, uh, you'll know that I posted a little video for a uh, snippet of video from the event last week where Tim Cook said just that, uh, not those exact words, but pretty close. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so this this may be a sign that they do, uh, because they are, for the first time in a long time, providing something that's genuinely new and innovative for the Mac operating system. So that's a, a point in their favor. It's true. Is there anything else about the, the MacBook
1: that people may not realize is an awesome thing? Like the keyboard, for instance? I don't know. The
0: fact that it's a retina display. Well, people, yeah. well the retina display uh, has the larger color gamut that they've been rolling out in other... Of their other, other lines right so the the latest iMac has the, the p3 color gamut um and now the iphone does and the ipad's pro do uh so now the macbook joins that line so that's just going to be a thing that rolls out every time they do a, a major update um the keyboard touch, uh, touch
2: id with with uh apple that's pay. true yeah. okay that's potentially huge yeah
0: what about yeah? Again, if you know, if only I could use it. <laughs> what about what about the keyboard, uh, Aaron? What do you think about that? Is it the same as what's in your MacBook now? Everything, uh, everything that I'm hearing suggests that it's going to feel the same as the MacBook does today, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I like the keyboard actually, so um, I've got no problem with it at all. Um, except for the arrow keys, I I don't think anything's going to make me like the arrow keys um as a developer when you're arrowing about um it is super annoying because uh my fingertips just cannot distinguish between the up down and side to side ones i'm always hitting the wrong ones But right, they're too small
3: yeah that, that, that's that difference is a little bit different than like what people normally have the trouble with the the laptop so they don't like the travel that the keys have yeah especially that if you me. if you like those cherry keyboards which i don't yeah. but but many people do um i think my issue with the the arrows is that I mean, they're just not designed correctly. It's a use. I mean, it looks visually great, but it's a usability failure uh, for Absolutely. the very reason that you you, you specify right. Like, like, you can't tell the difference between up and down without looking down.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. It's just like um, I'll hit the shift button a lot, like when I'm trying to up arrow. You know, and it's not the left right. The left right are fine. They're huge, right, and they're basically unmissable. But those uh, up down arrows are just—they're a bear. They're too small and there's too little space between them. So not a huge fan, not a huge fan at all. Uh, Oh,
1: Hey, Aaron. Uh, Yeah, Tim. This episode's also brought to you by hard.
0: Oh yes. Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and time consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want. And job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. Sometimes you'll go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. But then there's Hired. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you receive personalized interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. Hired offers access to 4,000 and more innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. We help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Just let us know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance to us. That's why Hired hides your profile from your current and past employers. The best part, it's always free for you to find your next job on Hired, no exceptions. We pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double our normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired. Just go to the URL www.hired.com slash more than just code. So this kind of, you know, all comes back to like the whole thing about, um, these Mac pros, MacBook pros, sorry. Are they a professional computer? Like, do they deserve the name pro? Um, and that's, that's actually one of the chief complaints leveled against it by all of these people in Michael size article, um, because people are thinking about the the sixteen gig limit, uh they're thinking about um the the port situation, which we haven't talked about yet. Not really. Um not being flexible enough. No S D card slot, for example, for photographers who want to transfer photos from their cameras. Mm-hmm. Um all those sorts of things that make the the MacBook Pro uh really more like a MacBook Air, you know, with a super high price tag. <laughs> so um I put a link here in the show notes, uh, a, a blog post by Alex Payne, is that he wrote this really wonderful blog post that has been on my mind. It's been infecting my brain for the past, uh, for all this week. What pro-computing could be is, is the article. And uh, this is one of the reactions of many uh, for Apple's event last week. And what he's talking about is what it, uh, what opportunity exists right now in the market for what, you know, Anyone's definition of a pro computer might be, and uh, I highly recommend you read this article. The argument he's making is that Apple and Microsoft both are sort of chasing a more consumer side of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, MacBook Pro is not as pro-y as it used to be. And even the Surface, you know, you look at the Surface hardware and you, you kind of look past the dial and the and the pen and that giant tilting display. And what you really have is, is, is a very consumer-oriented, consumer-focused, uh, consumer-flavored computing platform. Not super powerful, let's be honest, it's not. Um, but very glitzy, very cool looking. And given that these two titans of the market are kind of moving away from, like, sort of focus on high performance, uh, there is sort of an opportunity that there's a moment in the market now uh, where he says, not unlike the one in which Next and B emerged uh, back in the 80s, uh, where they saw um, this this opening for sort of high-performance uh, specialized operating systems. And now we are, in fact, talking, and this is what Alex's point is, we're talking about building, like, a brand-new computing platform from the ground up. And there's this one paragraph where he, he walks through what he and a friend of his did in collaborating on building such a platform, becoming obsessed and going through journal articles and designing a motherboard, sourcing components, writing the beginnings of an operating system, building an entire tool chain, uh, thinking about what the platform would be like for users, what kind of uh, frameworks they would be. Um, and, you know, imagine that. Just imagine that, what that would be like in the year 2016, starting a brand new computer platform uh, is an astounding feat of audacity, I think, Mm -hmm. or at least it feels like that to me. Um, of course, you know, given that he's revealing all this, uh, they abandoned the effort (laughs) because life interceded. And frankly, uh, one of the features of being a professional computer user is that you've got to stop fantasizing at one, at some point and just pick up the tools that are available to you and just get your job done, which is not untrue. Um, and that's what we're all going to do after we're done complaining about this MacBook Pro (laughs) is that we're all going to shut up and and get back to work and and go buy one and open Xcode and get your marginal, marginal computer uh, performance improvement, uh, or maybe not at all, who knows, and uh, get back to work because at the end of the day, that's what we do with these things, right? We do our jobs and uh, we spend all our time talking about it. Yeah.
1: I also linked an article that I found today uh, by uh, where the independent, we talked about mentioned earlier where Phil Schiller talks to them um, about some of the things that Apple's doing. And, you know, it's really, you know, if you really want to know what Apple's thinking, the closest you're ever going to get is, is to look at one of the interviews and see what people are talking about when they, when Apple answers these questions. But I found some interesting things in there that, you know, for instance, like the U.S. the SD card. SD card is huge for me, not because I'm a photographer, but because I'm a 3D printer but because I need that to write to write to my, my memory card to be able to feed my printer. So that's an issue for me. But then again, I'll just go get a dongle and do it through an SD card reader kind of thing. But he was pointing out that, and this is where Apple sort of, the, the things we don't think about or where Apple's thinking future-wise is that many cameras now have Wi-Fi built in or have a wireless method for transferring files back and forth. And, you know, I can tell you that... All day long, you know, every day of the week I do something by airdrop, you know, where I'm, I'm, you know, wirelessly transferring files from my, from my, um, my phone to my Mac, either at work or at home. So I mean, I'm already starting to use the diskless society. I mean, I mean, I have a USB disk drive downstairs that I use maybe once or twice year or the year. But you know, so we we complained about when they took the drives away from us, the optical optical read write drives, right? Um, but have we used them recently? No. We're all we've all moved into the cloud or Dropbox or you know, some of us using thumb thumb drives. But it, they've made it so convenient to move things around we don't need these ports. So you were you were going to touch on the ports I think yeah. Aaron, right?
2: I was I was about to say I can't even remember the last time I used one of those thumb drives whereas I used to use them every day. Yeah. But when's the last time? I don't know, it's been a long time. Everyone is, wire, is wireless. I now, think so. I spend
1: more time looking for the thumb drive than I do using it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> SD cards are a thing that were useful at a time, just like everything else. They were useful at a time. Pro users use them because they were the best thing available, but in let's say two years from now, they certainly will not be the the best thing available. It's true. Yeah, so it's true. if if Apple's building computers for pros, they should be looking at what the pros are going to be doing in the in the couple of year time frame. Ahead. And I think that's what they are now doing. I think that's, that's
1: my point. Ahead. I think they are yeah. doing that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm agreeing. I guess.
1: Yeah, and and Phil also talks about the the why is there a um, mini phone jack on on the Mac Pro when you know clearly moved, they've taken it away from the phones, and his point was that there are still people who work in the music industry and film industry who need to have that that port to connect into their devices, and and uh, so that's why the he says that's why the uh, the uh, jack three point five millimeter jack is there. So, and what about Siri? We know Siri on the Mac too, right? Yeah, it just told me the population of Florida. <laughs> on the Mac, oh, cool, yeah. And he was uh, on the Mac. I use the Mac for yeah, that. Yeah. The question was uh, from from the person was why can't why isn't there like a Hey Siri for for Mac OS? And and, and Phil an- Phil's answer was because there's a lot of different um, things uh, hardware requirements. You know, power. Uh, you know, if you're across the room from your computer, uh, those kind of things are, are, uh, are limiting factors that they can't do that in, as they would on a phone or a watch per se per se right. So if you're interested in in that kind of thing, and and Aaron, you pointed out there were a couple of other articles where executives have been interviewed.
0: Yeah, it seems like Apple executives went on something of a news blitz. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) after that event, and I think it was to manage the rather rough expectations, um, especially after the Microsoft event, right? Um, It was, it sort of was the perfect storm to become kind of a disaster for Apple. I mean... I, I I misuse the word disaster. Um, a bad week, let's just say it's a bad week.
1: Last week we talked about you know of course we had just seen the the Surface Studio video we're all blown away by that and what would Apple say the next day in in this in their presentation and we, I think we all guessed right they wouldn't say anything specific about it because how could they really. I think, yeah, there, there was a bit of damage control, but that seems to be sort of the new Apple too, right? Don't forget, like, you know, at WWDC, they've been, uh, Phil and, and Craig Federighi have been talking to John Gruber on the talk show, right? Um, that's something that Apple never used to do until, you know, until this new executive board came on board, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, they're definitely more open to speaking to public uh, the news, the news media. I guess uh, the thing that bothers me about it, though, is that they are so well rehearsed yeah. Yeah. that you get very little information out of them when they do talk. So, uh, I, I when I see these kinds of articles, I do tend to glaze over quite a bit um, because their answers are so prepared. And so, uh, let's face it, they're kind of empty of meaning in a lot of ways. So sussing out some meaning is very difficult. So this interview I pasted in from CNET is, uh, with Phil Schiller and Johnny Ive, uh, and Craig Federighi. Um, they, they were involved in all these interviews, uh, as well as other Apple executives that have, uh, been involved in the MacBook pro development. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't put a whole lot of stock in these things. Cool. All right. Well, so we move
1: on to the next uh, thing, f- post from Jaime there, um, which is kind of an interesting thing, Xcode
3: 8.2. This is just a, a, a quick FYI. I mean, if you've read the Xcode 8.2 release notes, um, you may have already seen this, or maybe you overlooked it. But um, Xcode 8.2 is the last release to support Swift 2.3. So if you haven't migrated to... Uh, to Swift three, uh, you might want to start thinking about that. Hmm.
1: What's the time frame for that?
3: Beta is out now.
0: Yeah, the beta is out now. Uh, we don't right, know when, right. gonna but I don't or... know.
3: Yeah, I don't know when it's going to go gold um, soon. But hey, it's a good good time to think about it because you can't do anything during that you know that one week that the app store shuts down. So maybe use that week
0: <laughs> or a month. Sure. Right. And this feels like kind of a, a dick move from I, Apple. I feel like it's a bad move from Apple. Yeah. Um they they are being so relentless. Like I I was actually very pleased when I saw the existence of Swift 2.3 uh to give developers sort of a breath, but I didn't think it would be this short of a period of time uh before they kick them off essentially. So that's uh that's really unfortunate. But there like let me just say actually instead that there there are there are companies that have large Swift 2.2 moved to Swift 2.3 code bases exactly
1: yeah
0: um and that don't want to face the prospect of having to move to swift three already right and especially when it's going to be oh i don't know uh six to eight months when we get swift four and all of its syntax changes right like it's apple's making it very difficult for uh companies with larger apps to support swift Mm mm-hmm um, so this, this is, um, to me anyway, it's really unfortunate. Like they, they should, they're, they're being too aggressive. Yeah. Well, let's hope they're staying true to the word when they're saying they're making the big, big breaking
1: changes now. So they do not have to make them later on. Um, I was trying to think too, uh, yeah. I mean, there was something you mentioned. There was some, or right, maybe it was Mark. There's some sort of supporting understructure you can put in the languages to help with porting forward and backward and stuff like that. Sweet letter acronym. Can't remember what it is. ADM or something like that? Or?
3: So are you talking about the ABI, the application binary yeah, interface? That's, yeah. that's, that's not something that developers do. That's no, no, that, I, the,
1: the provider does. Um,
3: Apple maintains. Yeah, the
1: language does, right? So,
3: Well, not the language necessarily, but more like, uh, I'm probably going to screw this up, so I'm not even going to try. I, I would say look at it as more like, um, X, sorry, not Xcode, uh, Objective-C, right, has had, you know, fantastic um, compatibility where you can pull out code from like 10 years ago and it probably will compile. Right. Like there's a really good chance of that. Okay. Uh, not so much the case with Swift because it, it's been changing so much. And while it is rather un- unfortunate, um, at least we got to see what it was like, but you know, before everything's been locked down, um, they are raising that bar, I think for Swift four, uh, there needs to be, they've said that like there needs to be a really, really good reason why they would break um, source compatibility because they already are trying to march towards that. You know, once we lock down these, these hooks that, you know, when the compiler turns something into um, binary code that actually calls into the system and says, you verily you know, print, you know, print this line, (laughs) you know, it will actually do it. Right. Instead of like, you know, uh, I don't even know, Swift went from like print line to print and, I think it's still print now, so yeah. that one's good, yes. right? Check that one on the on the on the checklist. Uh, but that's the sort of thing that they're they're dealing with, right? So uh, I think four will be the one that you know if you are going to have a very large Swift code base, you probably can start heavily investing at that point. Uh, right now, for any companies that have invested, it's like, yeah, that's kind of what you bought into, unfortunately. Right. You're bought so. into a, a fast, rapidly changing language sure. and and it sucks. And it, it would be nice. Uh, you know, it would be nice if Apple would support dot uh, 2.3 longer. However, I'd rather they take those same resources into making the tooling better. If I, if I had to make a choice, right. Rob Peter to pay Paul sort of thing. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And we are, you know, I think we kind of knew that at some point Apple's going to pull a plug on stuff. I mean, you know, we've, we've, guessed about when they're going to do that with objective c we don't know right so at some point they have to
0: yeah well i i don't disagree with that i just feel like this is too soon I no mean, i get that yeah how long did it last like um like what two months three months june three yeah months? June till now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like not long not long kids no. <laughs> so that's why i asked about um, the time but, frame yeah. but wasn't the
2: whole idea of 2.3 was that it was going to be a bridge just to get you over this this very short term Uh, interim period where you had to transition to three i thought that was the whole idea of it
1: yeah
0: Yeah, i guess i guess um you know i I wasn't privy to those conversations obviously but uh, (laughs) to me it it felt it feels like uh they it should have at least lasted until xcode 9 to my mind probably no longer but Hmm. i didn't I, i thought we were talking about a year not not like two months so, um, I mean, to, so in that sense, it was really just uh, a bridge, an extension, and a very temporary one. Moving from uh, Xcode 7 to Xcode 8, Apple realized that people weren't going to be ready with Swift 3 when Xcode 8 launched in September. So they provided this as a stopgap?
2: Yeah, but a yeah very, I, I may be remembering this wrong, but I I thought they pretty much explicitly said that when they introduced 2.3 at, uh, at WWDC this year.
0: Okay, I, I might have missed that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a that's a really temporary stopgap, because I would presume that Xcode eight two is going to land like soonish, right? Like in November. Like if it's out in beta already.
2: Hmm. Well, but it's Xcode eight three. That'll be the one.
0: That'll be the deadline, right? Oh, is it we'll still be able to use it in X. eight oh, okay. Xcode 8.2. it's the final version to support. Yes, it's not being uh-huh. removed
3: in 8.2, two. Just just to clarify, because I, I probably uh, slipped over that really fast. It's the last one that. So eight point three. Oh. Hopefully never have anything lands. too yeah. interesting or useful in it that will make you, you yeah know, feel really pained yeah. as you watch everybody move to it and you're, you're sadly left behind in 8.2. <laughs> uh, so assuming that's the case that it doesn't have uh, anything other than some, some minor updates in 8.3, hopefully you really like your real timeline extends out to when Xcode 9 became oh, okay. hottest or at the very least when the the betas come out um, for WWDC in June.
0: All right. All right. Okay. Well, I retract my, my complaint then. This is fine. Everything's fine.
1: You have to be careful with us Canadians. Everything's like 70% of what you guys get. Oh.
0: <laughs> Ouch. Wow.
1: Sick yeah. burn, Tim.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So,
1: Jaime, mean, what's this JSON to Swift thing about? I can't use Swifty JSON anymore? Uh, it, <laughs> what new devilry is this?
3: Yeah. So, this is a... Um, you know, this is one of those tools, uh, very, very similar in, in concept to what we've talked about with uh, protocol buffers, protobufs, where you have some sort of input source that says like, Hey, this is what my data model looks like. You run a tool and it generates, you know, swift or objective C code, depending on what you're talking about, uh, for you that, that accesses, you know, just does the marshalling and unmarshalling of, of objects, right. Reading and writing them, um, this is something that just came to my attention today. I think it's brand spanking new, or at the very least, this blog post that we'll link to, uh, for those of you driving home, is new. Uh, JSON to Swift kind of tries to take that that concept and say, okay, you know, if you define this is what your JSON structure looks like, by giving it examples, it will um, inspect and see what that is and turn it into Swift code. And I have to double-check. I'm pretty sure it's Swift 3, but I don't, I don't think Swift 2 is is supported in here um didn't look on that before uh but it's not the sort of thing i would necessarily recommend but i do think it's uh, it certainly doesn't hurt because at the very least it saves its time of typing the darn thing right you're probably going to create the json or or receive the json uh, if you're working with an api team so you'll have that anyways and if this gets you along the path of like man i really don't want to write yet another parser Uh, nor, depending on your situation, might you want to depend on, like, the auto-magic ones, right? Like, this does have auto-magic, but you still have the control because you're not giving it off at runtime to auto-magic to do things. Like, this is actually, you know, written source for you.
0: You just used auto-magic as a noun? What's happening here?
3: Just like science is a verb, I think um, auto-magic Uh is a noun.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's wonderful. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does this, um... Like, I'm looking at this here, like, it, uh, it creates a struct. So, you, you supply it some JSON. It creates a struct um, of whatever type that is, uh, following a protocol creatable from JSON. And does that somehow supply default values for the properties, or what? Like, what's happening here? And uh, why are some properties optional and some are not?
3: I think it's trying to inspect what your, your values are. And I think they cover this in the blog post. Uh, Do do, 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 do. Do they not? Oh, maybe I saw a, it might've been a different blog post. Might've been the one I linked to um, that talked about the fact that it, it tries to look at what you're doing. Like uh, this one's an example. Somewhere I saw a document where they had two um, JSON objects, you know, like two books or something where like the title is, is, present in both examples but um you know some cross-reference link is not present in one of them so it says aha so this must be an optional <laughs> thing because it's nil in this one or or null i guess in json land and it's present in the other one
0: mm, i see i think this is I'd, happening here yes
3: yeah i mean your mileage may be yeah, it,
2: it can it prevents potentially a very dangerous situation where if it if it creates a non-optional property in your in your struct uh, based on the fact that it exists in the JSON even though it's assigned to a null and then you have or, or even worse if it's not assigned to a null but there's the possibility of a null coming through later then you're going to have a lot of crashing code when you try to actually run it in a real world situation so if it can figure out that this thing needs to be an optional that's that's a potentially really useful thing
0: Yeah, that seems to be exactly what it does. And then it writes an initializer as well. Um, Yeah,
3: and I I think this is the sort of thing I wouldn't just, like, blindly use. I think it's more a tool to to help you. Um, Because you would have to do the same, if you were writing this by hand, you would have to make the same sort of decision on that anyways, and and at least have the knowledge of what your data structure is going to look like. And this doesn't, Mm. you know, change that fact, uh, especially with the way that uh, JSON is very loose. Like there have been other attempts to create uh, schemas, and there's probably ten
0: different uh, <laughs> solutions I've
3: seen for that. Uh, that's one of them. There's like ten others that are out there, um, and I, I think you know if you're going the JSON route, you're going the route of uh, a lot of flexibility, right? It's it's not quite as strict as something like um, XML with XSD or, or Protobufs might give you. So uh, that's a different engineering trade-off. So this isn't going to to, to change that. Uh, hopefully, it, it catches something. Oh man, I didn't even think about the fact that that should be optional. But it's not auto magic for that part.
0: Scam auto magic. As an
2: aside, it, it's, I've only written one or two uh, API receivers. I guess is the way you would uh, call it, right? We're <laughs> an app that, that uses an API and has to has to uh, interpret structures coming through from the JSON. But I've just started to making everything optional. So if you have, a if, if in, in these recent ones that I've done, any object that comes from a JSON at some point, I make every property optional.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, You it's can't assume anything. It's the only way to be safe. Yeah. Um, and the, the approach that Protobufs takes, and we've spoken about this on previous shows, is that um, it, it is kind of similar to JSON to Swift in that it, it does generate uh, a Swift file, a Swift model file. Uh, based on a specification that you write in the protobuf format as it were and uh, it uh, does type inference i believe to create default values for every property in your model object so that uh, you don't have to actually treat them as optionals in that case because it either has the value that comes from the server from the json um, or it's got a default value of that type Um, and i kind of like that uh again i haven't really had a chance to play with it too much but uh it does seem like it would simplify things quite a bit.
2: Now, if we could only get it to auto-generate the core data model yeah. uh, at the same time,
0: mm-hmm. then, we'd, yeah. then we'd have something. Then you'd be cooking with gas. Yeah. Huh.
2: It's completely possible. Of course. There's really ro- no reason why it couldn't be done. It really just has to generate a dot .mom file.
0: What else do we have here? That's well, we it. need to get you off to bed, so we should do our picks soon, right? yeah i think so i think we all have picks too so this is like the the second half of the show is going to start now (laughs) (laughs) all
1: right aaron what do you got for us? that was a
0: sick burn my friends my pick will be short and sweet um do you guys use paint code heard of paint code in past yeah Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. okay so paint code is a sweet little mac app that allows you to create graphics and ideally, you create graphics for your Mac and iOS applications. And what Paint Code does is it provides this drawing tool, and it generates the core graphics code that you can literally copy and paste into your app. And so instead of having PNG or PDF um, image resources, you've got your illustrations generated by code instead, um, with all the performance gains that you can have uh, by doing that. And, uh, by, with that simple concept, paint code is off to the races. So version three, uh, just came out today, brand new. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has some new features, uh, including support for Android. So like who cares? Right. But, um, uh, been updated to support Swift three. So it generates Swift three code now for Xcode eight, iOS 10 and Sierra. Mm -hmm. Um, it also does javascript you can export javascript code that can be used to draw into canvas elements Uh, it also has some uh, updates for uh, its drawing tools uh, so it can do stuff like aspect fit fill stretch and center it also has a telekinesis mode this was previously introduced uh, in an earlier version i think version two yeah we talked about that on the show a while back yeah ah yes that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's basically where you can see your output on um, an iOS device while you're developing on your Mac. Sure. And tweaking it. Yeah. Yeah. So, really super sharp app. Um, obviously, much improved over the years. And uh, so, it's available now, and you can buy it for yourself for $138 Canadian. This is a real app. Real money. And if you have an earlier version, they have, they have an update offer as well. I think it's $20 off or 20% off. I can't remember which one. Uh, so Paint Code 3 now available. Links in the show notes. All right. So, Jaime, what have you got for us?
3: Yeah, my pick of the week is an app called PipTube, P-I-P-Tube, like YouTube, which, funny enough, is a way to watch YouTube videos on your home screen uh, using the picture-in-picture mode. You might ask, why is this even necessary? Like, well, guess what? YouTube doesn't yeah. support that uh, for very good reasons. Um, no, they're not. Well, the good, re- oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, good reasons. good reasons. Good reasons from Google's standpoint, not good okay. user reasons. All right, fine. Uh, fine. But thankfully, fine. thankfully, some fine individual or individuals—I would fail to look up who has created this app. Uh, we'll have the link in the notes. Uh, has created this app that uh, lets you do that by just simply like copying the YouTube link um, they've got a nice handy dandy, uh, today extension that you can just, you know, tap right on there. It, it pulls it right off the uh, clipboard and you can watch your video and you can, um, shrink it off to the side and have it in that picture in picture mode, um, overlaying on your, your iPad. Uh, and if you're somebody like me, you're, you're wondering like, okay, well, why would I want this? It's like, well, because sometimes, um, I might want to have like that true multitasking experience uh while i'm consuming media right so i might be wanting to watch something like let's say like a baseball game on the big screen so i'm not using my Chromecast, right because i'm watching like the actual live tv but at the same time i still kind of want to get some um audio content or perhaps some of the video content while i'm using my ipad in split screen mode where if you're like me you probably have Twitter on one side and uh, my RSS reader feedly on the other. And you know, the triangle here being the YouTube videos uh, for the audio side. So it's a really, really niche thing. This only handles YouTube videos. It doesn't handle Vimeo. Um, Unfortunately, as of, you know, this episode, it doesn't support playlists. I, I sure would like to do that because it's kind of a hassle to go back to YouTube or to have a set of links that you continuously, you know, push into it. Um, but it feels neat because, you know, Google has uh, monetary reasons why it's never ever going to do this. Um, you know, if you wanted to have YouTube Red and pay them what, like ten dollars a month, uh, you can do it. But if you're like me and you're you're cheap, you <laughs> use this because it's only a dollar ninety nine US in the the App Store.
0: Interesting. This, uh, you know, you you said that uh, you didn't know who made this thing, and uh, you know, there's no credit at all on this web page that you gave a link for like no sense but but if you go to the itunes page you find that it's jesse Curranen is the developer behind this thing
3: yeah way to go jesse
0: hmm. yay jesse so just funny he gives himself no credit on that site and uh he's he's the author of an, a few other apps as well but nothing you've ever heard of <laughs> oh buffer buffer editor does that ring a bell mm. it's a code editor for ios uh ipad and iphone hmm. kind of cool looking it's all black, so of course it's nice. <laughs> okay, neat. Thanks, Amy. All right, Mark. Uh,
2: what have you got for us today? So I've been spending a lot of time lately uh, working with uh, things like the Accelerate framework in Swift. I've mentioned that a couple times already. Uh, and true, the most the most notable thing about that is that it's it's built on top of a bunch of underlying C uh, C functions as the API. It was like that in Objective C as well, and and when it made it over into Swift. Uh, it's it's the same thing, and so it uses the way that Swift handles uh, C uh, functions of that type using things like unsafe pointers and unsafe mutable buffer pointers and things like that. So there's a lot of that. I mean, everywhere you look in this API, there's there's all sorts of of, of these pointers and and very strange looking closures to use them, and and it's it's a a little bit uh, confusing when you first look at it because it's really not like anything else that you see in, in Swift. So uh, also at, at the same time the documentation the Apple documentation on it is is let's say limited at best both in <clears> the Accelerate documentation and the, the general Swift documentation on, on how to use these pointers. So I, I spent some time when I started looking around to see what was available uh, to, to get started on this and I, found, I came across a uh, a site, a web page, a blog article uh, that uh, is kind of an introduction to how to do all this stuff. It's a little bit old, a couple years old, but it, it's uh, it's a good place to start if you want to get a handle on, on what all these pointers are and what are the different times to use them. So the link is in the notes uh, if you need to know the stuff. Granted, not everybody will, but if you need to know the stuff, it's a good place to get started to learn about
0: yeah, there are some APIs that you run into that require unsafe mutable pointers be passed to them. So I've had pretty to do much, a couple pretty times.
2: Pretty much, yeah, pretty much anything that's, that's built upon a C API that takes a pointer hmm. to have that.
3: Right, so you're using it with the Accelerate framework, but I think like Core Audio has a ton of uh, C-based yes. APIs, so that's probably another release. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm trying to remember which one I had to work with that caused this. It wasn't either of those two, though.
3: Like Core Bluetooth or something, perhaps?
0: No, not Core Bluetooth. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's online, maybe.
3: I'm definitely bookmarking this one because I'm, I'm looking at the um, arcane magic at the very end of the thing. I'm like, yeah, I never would have just guessed that. But that's what it looks like.
0: All right, Tim, hit us. All right. Well,
1: she wasn't going to talk about Amaziograph. I was going to talk about... Ah, oh, sick burn. No. It is an amazing <laughs> app, though. Um, but no, I was going to talk about uh, the uh, touch uh, NS Touch Bar tutorial that's come out on Ray Winder today. Um, you know, a mere six days after it was announced uh, or came, came to light, and what it is is, is finally it's a run through of uh, the. Uh, NS Touch Bar um, framework with uh, things like NS Touch Bar items and gives you a real quick introduction. Uh, It's a short short little app that I've written here which is just basically like a a rating app where you, you you know stars appear and you just you know one, two, three, four, five stars and plus, minus and uh, in a little travel app that they've built. Um, so if you want to get your feet wet in in what you can do with uh, the Touch Bar, um, and and again how to use the Touch Bar in the simulator, or not simulator, I guess in the Mac OS environment, um, you basically need to you need to up- update your Xcode to 8.1 and your OS 10 to 10.12.1, which I neglected to do earlier today, but because uh, I got a whole bunch of surprises when I tried to run the app. And it's just a quick run through of of what the different parts of the touch bar are going to be. You know, where the escape button would normally be is sort of a system button area. Uh, in the middle is the app region where you have control over what you can lay out there. And on the right hand side is uh, control center or control script kind of stuff where you have like your volume controls and color controls and, and how to get a hold of Siri and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in just a quick little tutorial on what the touch bar could do for you in an app, it's, I recommend this tutorial. It's kind of cool.
0: I like that. This tutorial does not include the whole start a new project in Xcode. No. Name it, save it to your hard drive. This, uh, has a sample project to get you started and it gets you uh, right in there with, um, a basic application that you would then add the touch bar support to. Mm -hmm. Which is nice, and of course, it would not be a Ray Wenderlich article if it didn't have those hand-drawn, weird-looking people. Is there a name for them? They're they're um yeah I, I forget
1: who they are, but they're like rage memes or something like that. I don't know. There there's a oh, yeah, if
3: you yeah yeah. yeah yeah there's a whole bunch of those that that, that have been taken on a whole life and uh, their own sort of flavor and dialect in the, the Ray Wenderlich articles. Yeah yeah
1: they're they're sort of ubiquitous. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget. I always have to ask them what they are. I forget. Yeah, <laughs> and just a, just a quick one. I'd heard about on um on uh, by Tammy, and one of the things I'm fascinated with is the sort of I, I work in. I've worked in screen printing in the past, and a lot of screen printing. There's a lot of repetitive work where you you have like stop what we call stops along the table, and you lift the screen up and you push it against the stop, and then you move it and you create repeatable patterns. It's a lot. A lot of used in fabric and stuff like that. And if you're familiar with you know, mandala, uh, um, Mandalas and work of M.C. Escher artists. This is a kind of cool app for the iPad. Um, you don't need to have a pencil, but it works really nice with a pencil. And um, they have different grid examples, so you can do, um, like... Um, repeated circular things and it's just it's just cool to sit there and play with and it's super nice to make a design and uh color it in real quick and and have things if You're designing a tile floor maybe or you want to do something funky for a background for christmas it's kind of uh, it's a mazeograph and it's like sky spirograph if you remember back in the day just sort of fun to play with right Ooh, i love that thing yeah yeah so it's it's kind of a it's it's cool yeah, a Spirograph,
0: man, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of the same sort of thing. Like sometimes <laughs> you
1: have like hexagonal, sometimes everything goes to a center point, and as you draw, it automatically reflect, reflects the drawing that you're doing in the other tile areas. So you get these kind of yeah, nice repeating yeah. patterns real quick. You know, there's a couple of uh, videos online. Uh, some I thought someone I saw it on Twitter, and that was I was reminded of it because Timmy had, Tammy had rem- rec- recommended it to me one day, but I forgot to to look it up and follow up. There you go, the Spirograph. With AmazioGraph, everyone
0: is an artist. Everyone, They haven't seen me yet.
1: Oh, you'd be surprised, Aaron.
0: Oh, I think I would be, Tim. <laughs> Pleasantly, perhaps. <laughs> Download it, run it. iPad melts. Goes up in <laughs> smoke.
1: Yeah. All righty. That's not going to work for me. Well, that's it. Okay, I guess our work here is done. It is, sure. It. So, hey, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to Twitter at AaronVay. All right, and uh, Jaime, if people want to find you...
3: Also on Twitter as at dev of the hair.
1: And Mr. M- sorry, Dr. Mark Ribbon, where would they find you?
3: Send me an email at markr at sweptoft.com. Hey,
1: and as usual, my name is Timitra. I am still in Toronto, Ontario, and you can reach me on Twitter at T I M M I T R A. And we will see you guys next week. Bye bye. Bye bye.
3: Goodbye. Bye.
1: This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate you helping spreading the word. We're also on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcasts. You can support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.
2: We we have
1: been responsible for many iPad pencils being bought last week and lots of good shout-outs on the Nebo thing that we talked about. So yeah, my wife's very interested in that Did too. You get
0: permission? <laughs> yeah, do there like a referral <laughs> so program or something for referrals? So
1: so not only that's so why so I quoted the MTJC bump in, in my reply to uh, Anthony Lawrence again because he he thanked us again for mentioning the product, but also Corey, my friend Corey, who wrote Cat Paint a thousand years ago, you know, the only cat blazers, and he added the stickers, and he's been featured this week uh, by Apple in their sticker store. So there's another MT MTJC cool. bump, right? Yeah, so we're running the world, we man. We
0: So, what are we going to recommend this week? Fantastic. A <laughs> I don't know. For sure. Maybe. You never know. Something with the pencil. Mm-hmm. It's the future, or not? I mean. All right, guys. Well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We will <laughs> talk to you later.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure.
1: All right, see you guys. <laughs> Actually, Mark, see you um, you tried out the math pad, right? The Nebo math pad or the Microsoft? I did.
2: How, I how did. It? Yes. Yes, it was great. Uh, it works pretty well. Basically, you you uh, it gives you a little sketch pad that you draw in with your finger, and you can draw or write out equations, and it does a pretty amazing job of translating them into first a, a typeset form that you can just look at, you can cut and paste, uh, or it will generate LaTeX or or uh, uh, what is it, MathML code? I think it's MathML. But uh you know, the one I'd be interested in is is the LaTeX. Uh now the the one sort of downside, not not too much of a downside, is that it's a free app, but if you want to export anything, I think it costs something like dollar ninety nine. So if you actually want to use it to uh export anything to to put into a technical paper or something, which is what I'm planning on using it for. Then you have to pay a little, a nominal amount for that. But yeah, it works really well. It's great.
1: So are you able to do the Goodwill Hunting style equations that Jaime was looking for? What are those?
3: <laughs> like the whole, the whole whiteboard. Oh, sorry, blackboard. The whole blackboard is filled with, with the equations.
1: Yeah, and, and and Will Hunting goes up to the board and just erases it and starts filling it in. He's like the janitor in in the school.
2: Oh yeah, that's what it's for. <laughs> 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 you guys are, you're so naive. <laughs> well,
1: we're not from Boston like you are, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that that's exactly the kind of thing it's for. So I was doing things like integrals and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of thing that when you use something like, let's say, Microsoft Word Equation Editor, which is one what? of the best, what you see is what you get out there it for for equation building i mean it's that's that's the reality that's 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 what's out there that's what's available there's there's kind of two ways of doing this there's there's the you know the what you see is what you get kind of form where you actually drag and drop and 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 uh you know place things where you where you want them and it has a, a library of symbols like integral symbols and subscripts and superscripts and all that kind of stuff uh that's one way of doing it and and like i said the, probably the best one available out there is the word one Unfortunately, it's because you know, it's not that great, but it's the best that's out there. Uh, the completely opposite approach that people use, and, and people who do this more seriously tend to do it this way, is they use LaTeX, uh, which is L A T E X, but it's pronounced with a K at the end, and it's it's very much a text-based uh, scripting kind of thing. So instead of say, instead of having a, a visual integral sign, it'll be a, a symbol that you know you type a tag for integral and then and then so you get this you get this thing that to the human eye looks really ugly and it's not typeset at all and it and it's it's it doesn't take up the right space in your document because it's just pure text but when you actually render it 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 looks correct uh that's that's what latex is so so uh this is sort of a compromise between the two plus it has the the hand drawing which is the amazing part even with the with the with the what you see is what you get Types of things. It, it takes a long time because you're there with the mouse, trying to go to every single place where you need something, and then typing stuff in. As opposed to just drawing with your finger, it's really fast, and you could just write out the equation really fast, and then just export it, and boom, you get your you get your LaTeX, and you're done. Hmm. Huge, huge time saver. Huh? So you can imagine if you do if you're writing a technical document, um, not a not, not so much a you know programming type document, but like a you know, if you if you were to do, say, a, a physics type of document where there's a lot of equations, half the thing is equations. Uh, it could take hours and hours and hours just to, to to write out all the equations in in the word processor, as opposed to the five minutes that it should just to write them all in. And and this would fix that problem. So, yeah, I, I wish I had this <coughs> twenty years ago. When I, <laughs> more than that, even when I when I wrote my thesis, but I but I didn't. Would have been nice. Wow.
1: Interesting. So if you're into math, get out there and download the math pad. For algorithms or whatever.
2: Interesting. No, this is this is more yeah, this is more math. It's not not algorithms. Yeah, yeah. So. Although you could use it for algorithms, I suppose. Mm-hmm.